Well, this is a little surprise for us to be here tonight because we've really been here on a holiday, and I got an email from Dr. Kendall, and one thing led to another, and so here we are. We're honored to be here tonight. How many have come expecting a touch from God tonight? Who's come hungry? Just close your eyes and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence among your people tonight. I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing in the dividing asunder, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And your word is a discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I pray even now that as your word goes forth tonight into the hearts of your people, touching every person here in this place, and those watching by way of the world wide web, wherever they might be, that a fire shall be lit that shall not go out until the day that Jesus comes to receive us to himself. And Father, we just thank you that this fire shall spread across the United Kingdom and we shall see another great awakening in the UK from land's end to John O'Groats. Shake everything that can be shaken. Thank you, Lord, that your church is rising up in this hour. Thank you that this is the greatest hour of the church. And we give you praise, we give you honor. Cause the effect even of this one meeting tonight to have far-reaching results, even unto eternity we pray, and we give you all of the glory, we give you all of the praise and all of the honor, in Jesus' wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to take your Bibles tonight and go with me to two passages of Scripture. And the title of my message tonight is called, It's Time. And then I'll finish what it's time for just a little bit later. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, and verse 2, the second part of the verse said, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as the light. And he had horns coming out of his hands, and there was the hiding place of his power. And then go with me to Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. And the Bible says, It is the Lord who makes lightnings, which usher in the rain, and give men showers and grass to everyone in the field. You know, when the Lord called me into the ministry in 1980, it was right after I'd had a personal encounter where the fire of God fell on me in 1979. I'll tell you a little bit about that tonight. And so as God called me into the ministry, and of course our whole focus was about souls and seeing signs and wonders and miracles, but I didn't understand what God was birthing in us all those years ago. When Adonik and I got married in October of 81, and we began to travel all across Southern Africa together. And then when God called us to go to the United States as missionaries, and we obeyed the call of the Lord and went there in December of 1987, four suitcases, three children, five, three, and seven months, and $300. Didn't hardly know anyone, but landed in America in a time of a great turmoil in the nation. The turmoil maybe was not as the turmoil is today. The turmoil back then was the turmoil as far as church, the body of Christ, major ministries had collapsed, 
and there was almost like an apathy within the church. I remember the whole of 88 and the first part of 89 just crying out to God. I can remember driving across America with the kids sleeping, my wife sleeping, driving through the night just crying out, oh God, do something. Lord, I don't care what you do, but do something. And you have to be very careful when you pray and tell God to do something or do whatever because he might do it, and then you're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. And in April of 1989 in upstate New York, on a Tuesday morning, something miraculous happened. I was speaking on the subject of the anointing, and right in the service, it was like a cloud of God coming to the service. It was like the very atmosphere of the room changed. I don't know how to describe it any other way but to say that the air particles, it was like it became holy. It's like you didn't even want to take a next breath of air. It's like angels' wings were brushing by, and people just begin to fall out of their seats, some just shaking uncontrollably, others weeping, others filled with great joy, and the crowd diminished, not out of the door, but into the floor. And I had to stand and preach above the noise. It sounded like the sound of a running river. How many have ever stood by a river that was running and you could hear the sound of the water? It was exactly the same thing. Of course, we know the Bible says there is a stream whereof, there is a river, the streams are off shall make glad the city of God. That river flows from the throne of God to his people. And I tell you, there is no shortage of that river. And if ever that river needs to flow, it needs to flow now in the United Kingdom in the year 2015. Can you say amen? I'm going to just pick on the UK. I could talk to you about America, but let me talk to you about the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is in a great crisis. Without divine intervention, what you know and what has been your history is about to be changed and will never return short of a move of God. Now, many people would say, well, it's too far gone. I know they say that in America even now. But I believe that God looking for people that will stand in the gap. Can you say amen? amen? And as long as you and I are here on this planet, then the devil's going to have to wait his turn. Can you say amen? amen? This is the hour of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you about the condition of the United Kingdom in the year 1738. Listen to this. The condition of the United Kingdom in 1738 was one, it was said that morality and religion in Britain had collapsed to a degree that had never been known in any Christian country. But it got worse. The slave trade was at its height. Political corruption. Seats in Parliament were bought. Bribery and corruption were endemic in all levels of government. Drunkenness, by 1750, drunkenness abounded in every way of society from the king down. Whole population, it was like an orgy of drunkenness, and it caused the very name Englishman to be like a stench in the nostrils of any other nation. There were animal sports. They always resulted in inhuman act toward animals. Gambling, and the gambling affected the upper echelons of society. Immorality was rife. Literature, the gross indecency of the songs, the poems, the common talk, the plays, the essays, everything. 
It affected all classes of life. It was in the gutter. Lasciviousness, lawlessness. It was so lawless that a vicious penal code was adopted. And of course, the occult was rife. Does it sound like something we're dealing with today? Now you say, but if that was the case in 1738, then how come we didn't just fall apart? Because there was a mighty move of the Spirit of God under the Wesleys that swept across the United Kingdom and actually swept across America. That was called the first great awakening that turned the tide and everything, the plague was stayed from off the land. Well, you look at the things that are going on today. We got slavery today. Human slavery is at an all-time high. The sex slave industry, human trafficking, even for the harvesting of body parts, is at an all-time high. The politicians, your former prime minister, is worth tens upon tens of millions of pounds as he owns property all over, as many of those in government have sold the people out. Alcohol and drugs are still rife. Pornography. And we can go on, and this has affected every area of society. Now, what do we do as the church? Do we just sit back and have nice little Sunday services? And you know, there's the world out there, and we see the rising tide of Islam taking over the whole of the United Kingdom in every area. And I'm telling you right now, we have to have a move of God that will go outside the four walls of the church, that will go into the highways and the byways, that will shake Shake England to the very foundation, to the very core. Well, how is this going to happen? It always happens because God comes and finds somebody that's hungry. God finds some person, some man, some woman. You go back and look at Wilberforce, what he did in this country to stop slavery. You look at the others that God used down through the centuries and down through the years. God did not call us to be politically correct. God did not call us to come and to be part of the status quo. God called us so that he can put his fire upon us and that he can anoint us and empower us and we can see the greatest harvest of souls come into the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? amen. Some of your universities were great, evangelical, really Bible schools, sending missionaries to the far-flung corners of the globe and today they're godless Godless institutions. What does that tell you? The move of God does not come by osmosis. It does not come by inheritance. It does not just come and pass on because the last group had it, even if a church, even if a local church had a great revival at one time. doesn't mean to say that God's going to continue it because revival does not continue in a building, but revival continues in the hearts of men and women that are hungry for God. Somebody in this place has got to get hungry and cry out for your nation that God would come and do a work on the inside of you so that God can then do a work through you. God always finds somebody, always. In the sovereign plan of God, God always puts himself at the disposal of man. He always comes and finds a man and a woman that's hungry. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is looking for people that he can show himself strong in their behalf. And if you cry out, God will come and he will visit you and he will touch you and you will never be the same again. And he will set you ablaze. 
And one man and one woman full of the fire of God can shake the whole of London. One man, that's all it takes. One individual, one person that's been set ablaze by the glory of God. That's what God's looking for. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is looking for people that he can show himself strong on their behalf. So are we going to be those that read history? Are we going to be those that read history? Are we going to be those that write history? Are we going to be like the silent majority that go into oblivion because they're too afraid? They don't want to rock the boat. They want to be liked. Preachers that want to be liked want to be invited back. Don't want to preach the truth. Afraid to ruffle feathers. I didn't come here to ruffle feathers. If needs be, I'll pluck them out tonight. Are you listening to me? Somebody said, are you come to rock a boat? I'll turn the whole thing upside down. You better learn how to swim. So God is looking for people because it's evident that England was in a terrible state of affairs in the 1700s. It's hard to even believe that the nation was in that kind of a condition. But then God sent a mighty wind of his spirit and turned the tide. How many believe that we have to have that again? How many been feeling in your spirit that it must come again? Well, i got news for you. Wesley's dead. But you're not. You're alive. And you're breathing. And God can begin a work in you tonight that will have eternal consequences. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, there was a fire in London that at one time destroyed the city. But I believe there's going to be another fire that's going to awaken the city, that's going to shake every place, every house. And maybe God's going to use the foreigners because you've got enough of them now. We, we have a hard time finding somebody in, in London that can just speak English. My wife asked for kippers, and they brought capers. <laughs> Could I have some eggs and kippers? And they brought eggs and capers. But maybe God's going to use the foreigners. You know, many times the foreigner lives under adverse circumstances, and the locals live almost in the status quo. That's why God sends missionaries. Who here is from another country? Wave your hand at me. Okay, so maybe God sent you here for a purpose. <laughs> maybe God sent you here to be a part of that which would ignite a fire across the United Kingdom from Land's End to John O'Groats. I thought I'd get a little bit more response here tonight. I didn't know I was preaching to the Presbyterians. And so as we see, as we gather together tonight. Come on, this is a Pentecostal church. Last time I checked. So what does that tell me? It tell me there can be no condition in a nation 
given any time period in history that is impossible for God to come and turn it around. But all he's going to find is somebody that was hungry. John and Charles Wesley got hungry. They cried out to God. You all know the history. And it's going to take someone tonight in this meeting on this Sunday night right here in Kensington Temple, right here, to say, Lord, I want to get hungry the same way they got hungry. And the Lord, would you come and do a work on the inside of me and come and do a work? I don't care. People don't even recognize me when you're through with me. The church in America, 95% of the body of Christ do not win souls. 95%, that means 95% of every congregation does not win souls. That means 5%. Can you imagine when you've got a country of millions and tens of millions of believers and only 5% of them win souls? Let me ask you a question. When last did you personally lead someone to Christ? Okay, we've got some soul winners here because they raised their hand. But listen, this has to become a way of life. Many people, they don't even invite people to church anymore. They don't even tell anybody about Jesus anymore. We cannot be quiet. We've got to be bold. Can you say amen? amen? And the only way for that to happen is for the fire of God to get a hold of you. Amen. When the fire of God gets a hold of you, everything's going to change. You know, I was raised in Pentecost. I gave my life to the Lord. I was five years old, and then the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit when I was eight. I used to line up my bears, and I would preach to them. I would lay hands on them. They would all fall under the power. I would baptize those bears in water. We baptized them so many times that they started falling apart. The ear would come off. The eye would come off. And then we had to have a miracle service because this bear was deaf. And this bear was blind and couldn't see. And then my mother would get a hold of them and sew the ear back on and the eye back on. And then we had a miracle testimony service. This bear that was deaf could not hear again. And I would preach to the bears and I would hand the service to my three-year-old brother and climb out the window and go to America to go preach. So I'm doing exactly what I saw when I was a little boy because I'm in America now preaching to the bears. (laughs) But I knew that God had called me. And I had sat in church. My, My seat was right in the front row. A little boy, I can't remember, my feet not even hit in the floor. And I would watch the meetings of the guest speakers and the preachers that would come through. And I would tell my dad, that man, he's got the fire, doesn't he, dad? That man, he did not have it, did he, dad? And when I knew that God had called me into the ministry, I knew that I had to have the fire. Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's coming one after me who are going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So I knew about the Holy Ghost because I saw many people get the Holy Ghost, but I wanted the and fire. 
What was John the Baptist saying? John the Baptist was saying, I am a Baptist. But this coming of Pentecostal after me. <laughs> Jesus was a Pentecostal. Just so you, if you didn't know that, I'm informing you here tonight. Because Jesus is the one that told them to go tarry at Jerusalem. Jesus is the one that said you will be endued with power. Jesus is the one that said, and you can read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'd had the Lord speak to me several times in audible voice by the time I was 13. Operated in the gifts of the Spirit, but I wanted this fire. I, I said, i got to have this fire. I can't go into the ministry without this fire. Through, through a series of events that started in August of 78 when my oldest brother died suddenly. It took me into a, a place of just crying out to God in the month of July of 79 when I was in a prayer meeting, about 18 young people present. They were not Pentecostal. They were not charismatic. They were all Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Dutch Reformed, Anglican, you know. I'm the only Pentecostal. And I was so desperate, I began to cry out to God, and I started shouting at the top of my voice, God, I want your fire. Somebody said, what happened? Nothing. You say, you don't have to shout, God's not deaf. No, he's not deaf, but he's not nervous either. I was not shouting because of God. I was shouting because of me. I was desperate. When you get desperate, then you can't just sit there. A desperate person does desperate things. What did you do? I shouted again, God, I want your fire. I shouted for about 20 minutes until my voice started to go from me. And I often joke and said, my voice went hoarse, and I nearly got on the horse and rode away, you know. And then suddenly, it was like somebody took petrol and put it over me and then took a match and just set me on fire from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. It was like electricity was going through me, and then this river just started coming right out of me. Like that, just like clicking your finger. I was beside myself. If you looked at me, you would have said, that man's been drinking. I was laughing uncontrollably. I was weeping at the same time, and I was speaking other tongues all at the same time, non nonstop. Who, who has ever laughed and cried at the same time? Wave your hand at me. That is a natural response. So add speaking other tongues onto that. The fire of God fell. It hit all those young people. I didn't know what to do, so I just started laying my hands on them. They all fell under the power. Some of them were from a high school, from Grahamstown, an, an Anglican school, and they went back there, and a revival broke out in that school that ran for three years, three solid years. I only found that out years ago, but they were touched that night when the fire fell on me in July of 79. This is the reason why... I preach along these lines to tell people that you can get hungry and God will come and he will touch you. The Bible says if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, it said you will be filled. 
He said, if you draw nigh to me, I'm going to draw nigh to you. So many times we say we're waiting for God, but God's really waiting for us. 